Well, please take a seat. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you now for the opportunity to spend uh, these next few minutes hearing from your word and listening to these words of Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to listen to him uh, because he is the one who has come to earth from heaven to reveal heavenly things to us. Help us all to look to him in faith and to have eternal life in his name. Father, we ask all of this in his strong and precious name. Amen. Well, if possible, please do uh, keep John chapter 3 open in front of you as we look at these words. Given that this is, of course, a baptism service, we're taking a, a break from our regular series of sermons in Ephesians. And instead, we're going to look at this very well-known conversation that took place between Jesus and a man called Nicodemus. It is, in fact, one of the most famous conversations that has ever taken place. And it's a great privilege this morning that we get to listen in on what was said that day. So first of all, who is this man, Nicodemus? Maybe he's someone who's new to you this morning. And there are just a few things that we learn about him from those first couple of verses in the story. The first thing that we learn about Nicodemus is that he was religious. Nicodemus was religious. So John, who is writing this account, tells us that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. And as you may know, the Pharisees of Jesus' day were a a very religious group of teachers. In the whole, they believed that the way to be accepted by God was to live a good life, following lots of religious rules, many of those rules just made up by the Pharisees themselves. And if you lived a, a good life, if you were religious enough, if you kept to the rules, then God would accept you. Now, of course, that is completely not what the Bible teaches. That's not at all what Christianity is about. But that is what these Pharisees believed. It's what they taught. Be a good person, be religious, and if you're good enough, God will accept you. Nicodemus was religious. And as well as that, we also notice that Nicodemus felt awkward. In verse 2, we're told that he came to Jesus by night. And it would appear that the reason for visiting Jesus after dark was because Nicodemus didn't want anyone else to know about it. He was perhaps a little embarrassed about going to talk to Jesus and, and listening to what Jesus had to say. And maybe Nicodemus thought to himself, well, if I can go around after dark and I can slip in and out unnoticed, that would be a good thing. Nicodemus felt awkward. And then thirdly, he was also intrigued. He said to Jesus, Rabbi, that means teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
And Nicodemus, you see, had heard about some of the things that Jesus had said and done already. His profound teaching, his amazing miracles. And this grabbed Nicodemus's interest. It would appear that there's something different about this man, Jesus. Even there seems to be something divine about him and his ministry. Nicodemus was intrigued. He wanted to get the bottom of what get to the bottom of what Jesus was was all about. He was intrigued, but also he was confused. Uh, we'll see that as we listen into this conversation. In verse four, uh, he completely misunderstands what Jesus is talking about. In verse nine, he, he's puzzled and he asks, "How can these things be?" In verse 10, Jesus says to him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Nicodemus was confused. And I wonder, can you in some ways relate to this man, Nicodemus, this morning? Maybe you'd consider yourself a religious sort of person. Maybe you follow a certain religion or maybe you just have the outlook on life that if there is a God... If there is a God, then the way to be accepted by him must be to try and live a good life, do good things, maybe do religious things. Maybe you wouldn't claim to be an exemplary kind of person, but maybe there's a bit of religion in you somewhere. Or maybe you feel a bit awkward being here, if you're completely honest. And you were on your way here this morning and you were thinking to yourself, well, this is a little bit different, isn't it? I'm happy enough to, to go along, but I'm on unfamiliar ground. I'm out of my comfort zone here. And if I can slip in and out without anyone walking past and seeing me, well, that would be a good thing. I don't know, but maybe you feel a bit awkward being here this morning. And to some degree, maybe you're intrigued because you know enough about Jesus to know that he's not just an ordinary person. And also, you know enough people today who live their lives following him that you think, well, there must be something to all of this. There must be something. It intrigues you. And maybe at the same time, you're quite confused by it all. You can't seem to make sense of it. It just hasn't clicked for you. All this talk of Jesus and this talk of faith and this talk of baptism and all the rest of it, it just leaves you puzzled. I, I don't know, but maybe you can relate to this person, Nicodemus, uh, this morning. Are you religious? Do you feel awkward? Are you intrigued? Are you confused? Well, let's see what Jesus has to say to this man, Nicodemus. And I want to try and sum up what Jesus says here under three headings. The first of which is this. You must be born again to enter God's kingdom. You must be born again to enter God's kingdom. Right from the off, Jesus dives in with this big statement, doesn't he? He says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, if someone is going to be a part of God's kingdom, a part of his people, those people who live with Jesus as their king and do so both now and forever, then a person must undergo this experience which Jesus describes as being born again. And even someone like Nicodemus, someone who was so religious, 
Someone who even taught religion to others. Someone who would have been so well respected in that society and who lived a a good life. Jesus says he too needs this second birth. Everyone does. Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And here we see that confusion of Nicodemus coming to the surface, don't we? He says to Jesus, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You see, Nicodemus misunderstands, doesn't he? He takes it literally. He's confused because he hears Jesus talking about this birth, this second birth. And he assumes that Jesus is talking about another physical birth all over again. And it's, of course, a ridiculous thought. But, of course, Jesus is not talking about another physical birth. No, he's talking about a completely different kind of birth. And so in the next few verses, Jesus is going to explain to Nicodemus what he means by being born again. Jesus is going to tell him what it is why it's needed, and how it happens. So to start with, what is this new birth? What is it? Well, in verse 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what on earth does that mean? Well, we need to remember that Jesus is, of course, speaking to a religious expert here. He's speaking to a man who would have known the Old Testament like the back of his hand. And here, Jesus is pointing Nicodemus back to the Old Testament, the bit of the Bible written before Jesus was born. Uh, And he's saying to him, Nicodemus, this idea of a a person being born again, that's not something that should surprise you. It's not something that should confuse you, because the Old Testament talks about it. And you've read the Old Testament tons. And in the Old Testament, Water, water is often referred to as a picture of God cleansing his people of their sin. And the spirit of God is the one who brings about new life. In particular, Jesus, I think, is referring to a a section of the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from there. And listen to how in those verses, these categories of water and spirit and a new life, they're all drawn together in that section. So this is Ezekiel 36, verse 25 and following. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. A bit like we've seen a sprinkling of clean water this morning. God says there in Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean From all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. One Bible commentator sums it up helpfully like this. He says, in these verses, water and spirit come together so forcefully. The first to signify cleansing from impurity. The second to depict the transformation of heart that will enable people to follow God wholly. In short, 
Being born of water and the Spirit signals a new begetting, a new birth that cleanses and renews. This is what Jesus means by being born again. It's a work of God. It's performed by God the Holy Spirit who brings a person to new spiritual life. And he cleanses them of their sin. And with that new heart, he makes them able to live a changed life now. From now on, obeying God from the heart. Of course, we should notice today especially that what Jesus describes verbally here, baptism depicts visually for us. As we've seen already, baptism is a sign, a picture of these things. Cleansing from sin. A new spiritual life being given through the work of the Holy Spirit. And having explained what this new birth is, Jesus then unpacks why it is needed. Why do we need to be born again? Well, in verse 6, Jesus says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. What Jesus means is this, this spiritual life that he's talking about is not something that any of us have naturally. That's what he's getting at when he says that which is born of flesh is flesh. And in fact, the Bible tells us that naturally, we're spiritually dead. Naturally, our hearts are turned away from God. By nature, we want to be our own God. We want to live by our own rules. We want to live in line with our will. By nature, we reject God. We rebel against him. That's what sin is, essentially. It is rebellion against God that starts in our hearts and touches every part of us, touching everything we say and, and think and do. And that's why we must be born again by the Spirit to enter God's kingdom, because that which is born of flesh is flesh and nothing more. And that means, doesn't it, that nobody, absolutely nobody, by virtue of simply being born into the right family or the right community or the right culture or the right country is a part of God's kingdom. No, you must be born again to enter God's kingdom. And then finally, under this first heading, how does this new birth happen? And to explain that, Jesus uses this illustration. He takes it from, from the weather. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it, it comes from or where it goes. And it's true, isn't it? If you're outside on a, a blustery day like today has been, and the wind is blowing this way and that, and your hair's all over the place, and your umbrella's inside out, and, and then the wind suddenly cha changes direction, and it nearly blows you over. And you can't control it. You can't even predict it. We might even say the wind has a mind of its own. And you can see its effects all around you. And yet it is outside of your power to try and domesticate it. You can't channel it where you say. You can't second guess it. And Jesus says so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God has a mind of his own. He is God. He has a divine, sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful mind. 
We can't control him. We can't predict his next move. His ways are above our ways. We can't domesticate the spirit of God. We can't channel his power into where we want him to go and work. And yet we can see the effects of his work around us. And of course, one of the effects of his work is that every now and then, a person is born again. They come to new spiritual life through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's exciting to watch, isn't it? I wonder who's going to be next. Who's the next person in Cromlin to be born again? I've got no idea. Neither do you. And it would be useless for us to try and predict that work of the Spirit or try and control that work of the Spirit. No, it is God the Holy Spirit's work alone. And he works where and when and in whomever he has chosen. We can't control his work. And we can't stop him from doing that either. He brings new life to whomever he pleases. And that all sums up that first major point that Jesus has here. You must be born again to enter God's kingdom. And then here's the second thing. Jesus says, you must listen to Jesus to understand heavenly things. You must listen to Jesus to understand heavenly things. So we get to verse 9. Nicodemus is still confused, poor chap. And as Jesus makes clear in verse 10, as a teacher of Israel, Nicodemus really should have grasped all of this a long time ago. How could Nicodemus arrive at an understanding of these things about this new birth and about entrance into God's kingdom? And the answer is simply, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. You must listen to Jesus to understand heavenly things. And so Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven the son of man. Let me try and illustrate it like this. When I was growing up over in South Yorkshire, there was a, a radio program that I used to enjoy listening to on a uh, Saturday evening. It was called Praise or Grumble. It wasn't a Christian thing. It was a football phone-in program, Praise or Grumble. And each caller would uh, phone in and the presenter would say to them, Praise or Grumble. And the caller might say, well, I want to praise Sheffield Wednesday. That's not a joke, by the way. Don't, don't laugh at that. Or they might want to grumble about Sheffield United, perhaps. Depending on how their team had done that afternoon, people would phone in either to praise or, or grumble about their team. But they had a rule on that program, one particular rule. And the rule was this. You could only phone in if you had actually been at the game yourself that day and had seen it for yourself. Because, of course, no one wants to listen to someone spouting off about something they've not actually seen for themselves. You want to listen to someone with first-hand experience. And you see, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you want to understand heavenly things. You want to understand the kingdom of God. What it means to be born again, that work of God the Holy Spirit, 
You want to understand about what it means to be brought into God's kingdom and live as one of his people and then spend forever in his presence in a perfect new creation. You want to know about heavenly things. Well, you need to make sure you listen to someone who has seen these things for themselves. Someone with first-hand experience of heaven itself. And of course, the only person who fits the bill is Jesus himself, the man from heaven, God the Son, who left the splendor of heaven, took to himself a human nature, was born on earth, and lived amongst us. You want to understand heavenly things? Or listen to the man from heaven, the one who has seen it with his own eyes, the one who has come to us from heaven. I don't know where you look to try and understand heavenly things. What happens after I die? What is heaven like? How do I get there? What must I do to be ready for that? Maybe you look to, to an institution to tell you these things, or maybe you look inside yourself and you look at your own inner thoughts and feelings and speculations. And yet you see at the end of the day, there's only one person to listen to about heavenly things. And that is Jesus himself, the man from heaven. And of course, that's what we, we're here to do this morning. And that's what we're here to do every Sunday. We gather around the Bible, which is Christ's word for us. Every last word of it inspired by his spirit. And as we gather here, we listen to what Jesus has to say about heavenly things, because only he can tell us. Why not come along and join us? Because you must listen to Jesus to understand heavenly things. And then thirdly and finally, you must believe in Jesus to have eternal life. You must believe in Jesus to have eternal life. And to drive this point home, Jesus goes to another Old Testament story. This time he goes to the book of Numbers, it's chapter 21. And again, of course, Nicodemus being a religious expert, he would know all about this, this story. Uh, and so Jesus says to him, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Well, what is this story that Jesus is referring to? Well, in Numbers chapter 21, you can read it later if you want, but the people of Israel are making their way through the wilderness. God has rescued them from Egypt. He's leading them through the wilderness towards the promised land. And you would think that the people would be thanking God and praising God for all that he had done for them and all that he was doing and would do for them. And yet in actual fact, they got impatient on the way and they started complaining against God. They were rebelling against God in their hearts. And because of that, they faced God's just, fair punishment for their sin. And the punishment was a somewhat strange one. The punishment was this. God sent a load of snakes into the Israelite camp. These snakes started biting the people. People started dying. And so their sin was leading to death under God's judgment, which is where all sin leads ultimately. And the people realized the error of their ways and they, they cried out 
for God to save them. And God, in his mercy and grace, provided a remedy. He provided one remedy alone. Moses was to make a bronze statue of a serpent and lift it up on a a wooden pole. Now, we might say that the, the remedy was the punishment for their sin being hung up somewhere else. And anyone who had been bitten by one of these snakes and was therefore facing death under God's judgment as a result of their sin simply had to look at this bronze serpent and they would live. That's a strange story, isn't it? But what Jesus wants Nicodemus to realize is that that story was always intended by God to be a picture of what Jesus himself would come into the world to do. Because you see, all of us are in many ways a lot like those Israelites. As we've seen already, by nature we have hearts that rebel against our God. We reject him, we go our own way, we live by our own rules. And there is a consequence for that, which is death under God's judgment as a result of our sin. Not just physical death, but indeed spiritual death forever as our punishment. It's a horrific thought, but it is what we all deserve. And yet God in his grace and his mercy has provided a remedy for this. One remedy alone. The remedy is this, just like Moses lifted up that bronze serpent on a wooden pole, the same would happen to Jesus. He himself would be nailed to a piece of wood and he would be lifted up for all to see on the cross. And whilst he hung there, he took the punishment that all his people deserve for all of their sins. If I can put it like this, the remedy of the cross is the punishment for sin being hung up somewhere else, nailed to the cross in the person of Jesus. And just as the Israelites simply needed to look to the bronze serpent, all that we must do, all that we must do is look to Jesus. That is looking to him in faith, believing in him, Trusting that my punishment fell on him at the cross. All of my punishment for sins past, present and future. All the punishment, all the condemnation fell on him at the cross. My punishment was hung up there as Jesus died for it. And that is my only hope. My hope is not in being a good person. Not in being a religious person not in trying to earn God's approval. My hope is in what Jesus has done for me. That's what faith is. And when a person looks to Jesus like that, believing in him, trusting in him, eternal life is theirs. And the very fact that they believe in Jesus is the outward evidence that the new birth has happened. Eternal life is theirs. They've been born again. The life that they've received is not just life that goes on forever, but it's life of a whole new quality. They've been born again. They've been made new. They've been forgiven of all of their sin. They've been made a part of God's kingdom forever. 
And you know, the great thing is that this is something that happened to Nicodemus himself not too long after this conversation. We don't know when, but Nicodemus was born again. Did you know it was actually Nicodemus, along with someone else, who took the body of Jesus down from the cross after the crucifixion and laid it into the tomb? Nicodemus literally was there looking at Jesus hanging on the cross. Nicodemus was born again. And of course, it's happened again and again and again, countless times, down the centuries. And most of the people in this room know it for themselves. A person experiences this second birth through the work of the Holy Spirit, causing them to look to Jesus in faith. And eternal life is theirs. And I don't know how you felt as you came in this morning. Religious, awkward, intrigued, confused. But whoever you are, this is the good news that is freely offered to you this morning. You must be born again to enter God's kingdom. You must listen to Jesus to understand heavenly things. And you must believe in Jesus to have eternal life. That's it. That's the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that this morning we've been able to listen in to this most important of conversations that has ever taken place. And we thank you that in your kindness and mercy and grace, the Holy Spirit is about that work of making people be born again, raising them to new, everlasting spiritual life, lifting them out of their spiritual death and cleansing them and renewing them as and when he is pleased to do so. And so help us all to listen to Jesus so that we can come to understand these heavenly things because only he can reveal these things to us. We thank you for your word, the Bible, and we pray that you would give us all hearts that hunger to hear more of what you've revealed to us through Jesus. And most of all, we pray that we would see many, many more people turning to Jesus, looking to him in faith. We praise you that Jesus went to the cross for our sin and he took our punishment so that we can be forgiven and saved and have life with him forevermore. We give you our thanks for all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.